0: The weather itself acts as kind of an illustration, uh, a living parable, so to speak, of the text that we have this morning, because, you know, we, we see Joseph, you know, he's been, you know, just put through the ringer. You know, he, he's gone through, has anybody anybody ever felt like that, felt like the way Joseph's going through the things that he's going through? Being, you know, going from the number one son, loved by his family, to being beaten up, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, sold to Potiphar, raised up, false accusation, thrown into the dungeon, and just go, what is going on? Is this really my life? Is this really what's going on? And then to have God at the last minute, to have God come through and deliver him from all of his troubles, all of his woes, all the hardships, all of the sorrows. And it's just the way the Lord works, isn't it? Pretty amazing stuff. And this morning, I, I couldn't help but to think about it. When I was just looking at it, it's like, it's supposed to rain, it's supposed to rain, it's supposed to rain. And then, like, all the sun, uh, when Trinity and I were driving uh, to the church this morning, she goes, Daddy, look. And there was just these rays of sun shining through the broken clouds. And she's just like, isn't that pretty? It's like, that's gorgeous, sweetheart. That's really gorgeous. And that's just the way our God works, isn't he? Amazing, amazing. Well, this morning we are going to be jumping right into Genesis chapter 41. I purposely don't want to spend a lot of time on the bulletin because if you've flipped ahead into chapter 41, you see that there's 57 verses. (laughs) And so this morning we're actually going to be uh, tackling this text a little bit different than I normally do. I normally like to read the whole text and then come back and then break it down and explain it. Uh, basically based off of what the Levites did back in the Old Testament days. They would read the word of God, and there would be other Levites. That would be that the priest would read the word, and then the Levites would come, and they would explain it to the people. Well, this morning, because of the text, I'm going to shift now a little bit, and I'm going to go more of a Chuck Smith style of teaching, and we're going to take it chunks at a time, and we'll explain the chunks because we won't have time to get through the whole thing and then come back and re-explain it again. So why don't we go ahead and begin with a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into Genesis chapter 41. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. Lord, truly you are glorious. Lord, every breath that we have, we give thanks to you. For Lord, we know that every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. Lord, you knew us. You called us to yourself, Lord, from before we were even born. Lord, you knit us in our mother's wombs. Lord, in every word that we would speak, Lord, you You write in a book of remembrance, for we are yours. We are in the beloved. We are in Christ who died for us. Lord, we know that your eye is on us and your heart is toward us always. And so, Lord, it is our great joy and pleasure to come here to sit at your feet, to hear your word, and, Lord, to make application to our own souls, our own lives, that we might be pleasing to you. For we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump right in. Genesis chapter 41. You guys know, uh, last week we actually, the, the main topic that I really focused in on was the sovereignty of God, that his will is above everything else. That Literally, that sovereignty of God basically means that he is the supreme He is absolutely the highest level. There is nothing above him. He is the one, he has all preeminence. He has all dominion. He has all authority. And literally he has the right, not just he has the power to, but he has the right to do all of his plans, all of his will, all of his pleasure. That is what sovereignty means. That is why when you talk about a king, they are sovereign. They're, they're above the law. Now it, most of today's monarchs aren't so much like that. But if you look in times past when, where the word came from, when you talked about a sovereign, it was somebody who was above all things. It was somebody who was above the law. And so we saw that as God was, and his sovereignty was declaring things, as he was speaking things in, that, hap- that were gonna happen in the future but hadn't happened yet, his foreknowledge as well. And then you see Joseph, Putting his faith and his trust in the butler, right? Of all people. He was he 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 kind of shifted. He, you know, he, he gave glory to God. It's not me who can interpret dreams, but God. But then he comes and says, now, and he put his hope in this butler. And he says, When you go, when you're restored, he said, Remember me. Speak kindly to Pharaoh for me. Help me, because I've done nothing wrong to be to, to, to deserve being put in this dungeon. So please, please help me. And we'll find. This morning, chapter 41, verse 1. Listen to this. It says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Two full years. Now, there, there's been a lot going on for this guy already. He, he's already just been beat down and beat down. And then his head starts coming up above the water. And then the next wave just hits him again and he's in the dungeon. And then it, it seems like there might be some kind of deliverance because he has these dreams. He's able to interpret the dreams. And I'm sure when he actually found out that you know three days later, both the guys were taken away and the guy gets you know, his head chopped off and he hears about the other guy being you know, delivered and, and he's restored and all that. He's probably just like waiting, sitting at the door waiting like, when are they gonna come? When are they going to come? And I don't know about you guys. Have you ever like really hoped for something? Really, maybe it was when you were a kid for Christmas and you had been asking for one thing the whole year. This is what I want for Christmas, mom. This is what I want for Christmas. You ask mom because she's the one who's most likely going to cave in, right? Mom, please, please. This is what I want. This is what I need. All the other kids have this. I want it. I need it, please give this to me. And then you come and you know, there's Christmas and you, you see there's a package over there that's a right about the right size of what it should be. And you're just going and your parents are going purposely going around it, around, around it. And you're just like, oh, but there's that one. There's that, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then finally they say, okay, here you go. And you open it up and it's a sweater. And you go, oh, no, no. And how disappointing. And they're like, oh, don't you love it? Uh, and that feigned excitement, like, yeah, that's great. Uh-huh. I remember for me, probably one of the most profound moments of my life before salvation was from the time I was nine years old, I'd been looking for my one true love. I-, I was a romantic, absolutely, through and through. I'd been looking for my one true love. I'd been looking for that princess. I grew up, with. I was a geek. Look, I just say it, okay? I was a geek. <laughs> I, I-, 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 I love the whole idea of-, of Romeo and Juliet, the whole bit. I- that was me. And I had been looking for my one true love since I was nine years old. I used to, when I used to work at the Anaheim Pond, I used to look at the crowds. So I was a human cone. And as the crowds would come through, I used to wonder, is she in this crowd? Is she in there? Is it that we just don't even know each other, but she's here? And I used to think oh, all that. And then one day it was after I was in college and the whole bit, and I was driving home, and all of a sudden there was this girl in this brown, kind of beige with a brown top Jeep. And I looked and said, hey, she's kind of cute. She reminds me of Heidi. And then I just kept driving and all of a sudden I went. And it was just like a lightning bolt to my brain. I thought, it's her. It's been her this whole time. She lives like three minutes away from me. I can't, how did I not know? We sat in English class, Spanish class, history class. How did I not know it was her? And then there was that moment. And also it was like, I was trembling. I was so excited. I mean, literally I had the chills and I'm just, and I ran, I drove very quickly home and I I I started searching for her phone number. I was looking through all my yearbooks and all that. I found where she had written in my yearbook, but she didn't write her signature or her phone number. I'm like, ah! And I literally found one of the things that the the schools give to the parents that have all the phone numbers, all the different kids. And I found that and I called the number and Heidi answers the phone. And I said, she goes, I said, do you know who this is? And she says, no. And I said, ode to the donut, so fluffy and soft. And also she goes, Brian! Inside joke, it was a poem that I wrote in high school and I, I used it all four years in English and I got three A's and a B on it so it was and so but she knew who I was and I was so excited like I'm trembling because I'm thinking this is the one this is the one I'm going to marry this is the one that I've been looking for since my I was nine years old she's the one she's the one and then as we're talking I'm just like trembling trying to like figure out what to say not to act like a total dork or anything I'm just like you know be cool be cool be cool and then all of a sudden, she says, I have some incredible news for you. I'm like, oh, what's that? She goes, I'm engaged. <laughs> and then you have to know, at that moment, my heart shattered into a thousand pieces. And I could barely keep it together on the phone. And I was just like, can I be invited to the wedding? <laughs> kind of a thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we exchanged information. And we got off the phone and then I, I walked out into the backyard and I sobbed. And I just sat there literally convulsing because it's like this is the one that I had been looking for my whole life. And now it's like when I finally realized it was her, she was taken away from me. And the thing the thing that stuck the dagger in so much deeper was that on grad night, her date got drunk and threw up on her shoes. So she came and hung out with me. Our grad night picture was together. So we were kind of like a little date for there. And at the end of grad night, she literally, we were saying goodbye to everybody and she hugged on to me and she wouldn't let go. And she just kept holding me, holding me, holding me. And it wasn't that she was in love with me because she didn't know she, that I was her one true love or anything like that, any more than I did at that time. But she hated saying goodbye and we were really good friends and she was just holding me and she wouldn't let go and she wouldn't let go, she wouldn't let go. And finally, I pushed her off of me. Not rough, mind you, I didn't like knock her over, <laughs> but I, I pushed her off of me and I said, Heidi, I, I have to say goodbye to the rest of my friends. And I turned my back on her and I looked around into the crowd and there wasn't anybody else to say goodbye to. And so then I walked out and I was literally the first one into the, into the parking lot. And it was very symbolic. Very, my life is kind of like that. I walked off into a dark parking lot by myself. And as my heart lay shattered on the floor, all I could think of was I had her in my arms. I had her in my arms. And now she's gone. And now she's gone. For two years, Joseph sat looking at that dungeon door. For two years, he thought, is my deliverer coming? It could be any moment. All he has to do is say something to Pharaoh. He just, I mean, maybe he just needs to explain himself better. And he he was just wondering what had actually happened. Well, we're going to see it later. The butler forgot. He's like, hey, I'm out of here, sweet. And that was the end of it. He, didn't, he, he forgot about Joseph. He didn't care about Joseph. So what? He's some Hebrew slave in there. Whatever. He didn't care. And yet Joseph's hopes were there and stuck there. And I had to, as I meditated on this, two years, and it says two full years, like every drop of that cup was emptied out. Every day of those two years was fulfilled. And there was Joseph. And all I could think of was the truest test of a man or a woman are the silent years when the Lord's not speaking, right? When you hear the Lord's voice, when you have an incredible devotion, when a miracle happens, when you experience a healing, when you see like amazing things going on, it's easy. It's easy to walk with the Lord in those times, isn't it? You're excited to, man, you want to go to five Bible studies a week if you can go, you, you're like sharing with all your coworkers. You're sharing with your unsafe family. You're excited because God is doing this great work in your life, and you're just moved. And then something happens where all of a sudden it's like, hmm, the devotions aren't quite as rich. They're not quite as vibrant, not quite as like, intimate. And it doesn't seem like God's really speaking. Like, yeah, I have his word, but it's like God's not really moving anymore, and it's quiet. I call them the silent years the silent years, when it's just you and what you know that the Lord has already spoken. And what will you do in that time in the silent years? What will you do when it's not, woohoo? What will you do when God just calls you to be faithful to what he has already given you? It's an important time. It is a test greater than riches. It is a test greater than poverty. It is a test greater than sickness. Who are you when God is not speaking? Will you continue with him? Will you continue to walk with him? Because you know our convictions grow when when God is moving in our lives. Our convictions grow and they're there. But then in the silent years, we begin to slide back, don't we? We begin to slide back into old habits, into old patterns, hanging out with old friends, and then it just kind of... Oh, before I was really, you know, because I gave my heart to the Lord, it's like all these things I cut out of my life and all these things I began to fill it with. And then in the silent years, often what happens is, gosh, I'm just too tired to go to a midweek study. I'm going to take that out. And I'm too tired to wake up in the morning and have a full hour devotion. So I'm just going to have a five minute devotion just, you know, while I'm drinking my coffee. And then, you know, these things that, that's not really that bad after all. I mean, I'm more mature in the faith now and I see and I understand that these things are actually good and and, and okay and we shouldn't take them too seriously. That all happens in the silent years. All those things happen to us when we're just kind of, it's it's life as usual. When we're just kind of going about our our daily routine. James chapter 1 verses 2 and 4 says, my brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials. Listen, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience. Patience, that thing that everybody warns you, don't pray for patience because God will give you reasons to be patient. You don't want that. Patience. And yet, James says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That word perfect means mature. That you may be mature in your walk. Because a person who is mature in their walk, when they're not really feeling it, their devotions are kind of dry, they will say, But this I know, thus says the Lord. And I will, whether I'm feeling excited about it or not, I will walk in obedience to my God. The immature person will say, I'm not feeling it, so I'm going to go, Pate. That's what happens. And James is saying, hey, guys, it's good. Joseph, it's good that you're in that dungeon. It's good that you're there because you're learning patience. You're learning to wait on the Lord and things aren't great. You're not in Potiphar's house. You're not the the number two guy in his house anymore. You're in a jail and you're the number one guy in the jail. Woohoo! promotion. But there you are learning to trust God. You are learning to walk in the things that God has already taught you. Joseph, this is good. You are learning patience. And that patience is producing a maturity in you that would not come any other way. Verses two through seven are going to be the dream that Pharaoh dreams. And he says that, behold, he stood by the river. This is the dream of Pharaoh, verse two. Suddenly there came up out of the river, seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, And stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and the gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke. And indeed, it was a dream. Now... Guys, the Lord oftentimes speaks through dreams. Anybody here ever had a dream of, from the Lord? Not too often nowadays. Sometimes it happens. Back in back in these days it happened all the time. It was one of the primary ways that the Lord spoke. He spoke through dreams and through visions. This was a very common practice. And in Joseph himself, you know, we saw Joseph had the dreams. He had the second dream. And then you know later, you know, he has the, the, the two, the butler and the baker have the dreams, and he interprets those. Now Pharaoh's going to have a dream. Later we'll see like um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he has a dream. The prophets, many times the Lord spoke to them through dreams and visions. In the New Testament, it actually says that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit, and Joel talks about it, that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and the old men will dream dreams. The young men will see visions. And I just wonder, are we asking for those things? Are we expecting those things? But there's also danger in dreams, because sometimes you'll have somebody who claims to be a prophet, huh? And they'll say, hey, I had a dream. The Lord showed me that you're supposed to marry me. Really? Hmm. I'll get back to you on that one. I'll get back to you on that one. We have to be careful because God does speak. Do you guys know that, that God speaks? Absolutely. He primarily speaks through his word. He primarily, especially in the New Testament, Peter had a dream, right? Remember, the, remember the, the, the blanket came down, had all the unclean animals, but primarily the predominance of scripture in the New Testament is literally just God speaking through his word but we have to be careful because a lot of times this is a danger that we will run into people who said, oh, the Lord gave me a vision, brother, sister. Don't you know? Look, this is what he said, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you think, oh, wow, the Lord didn't show me that, and what we need to be, we need to be like the Bereans. We need to be open-minded about things like that. I I wouldn't say, oh, just anybody comes to you with a dream, just tell them just uh, whatever, it's your burrito. No. You take it with an open mind, and you say, you know what? I'll pray about that. But know this, that no dream will ever contradict the word of God. If it is a dream sent by God, it will never in any way contradict Scripture, and it will never in any way override your free will to walk in Christ. Joseph Smith had a dream. I think Mary, uh, Mary Esther Baker, I forget what her name is, the Christian scientist, she had a dream. Muhammad had a dream. These are all dreams that were sent not by the Lord, but by the devil. So be careful, especially in these last times, because I think it's going to become more and more prominent. We're going to see more supernatural activity happening. It's, you, know, you can already see the political realm shifting and stirring. The pot is being moved. But there's going to be a spiritual aspect of life that is going to be coming in the last days that is more so than what has been in the silent years. But I'll just say, be careful, be careful. Then in verse eight, it says, now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, that's Pharaoh's, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. we're talking all of them and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Now, the question that I asked in this is, who do you look to when your spirit is troubled? See, Pharaoh had this dream, and obviously this dream was a super realistic dream. Have you ever had one of those dreams where it is so real that you're not sure if you're dreaming or if you're awake? Right? That's the kind of dream, because it, remember it says that he woke up and it says, and behold, it was a dream. That's just kind of, it's like, why would, the, why would they add that into the scripture there? Because it was such a realistic dream. When he was in it, he didn't know whether he was asleep or whether he was awake. Right? That's how real this thing was. It, it wasn't just some like, oh, it was some you know foggy hazy dream you know this is like super hd surround sound blu-ray with the hdmi cable and everything that's what this dream was and he was shocked by it and he was troubled by it and his spirit could not rest because of this dream and when he had this dream who did he look to he looked for the wise he looked for the educated he looked for the schooled men of his kingdom So he brought all of the magicians, the people that were supposed to have a supernatural, that were supposed to have a a hand in the hand of God kind of guys. He brought them all, every single one of them from the entire nation. He brought them to him. And then all the wise men, all the learned men, all the PhDs, he brought and he surrounded himself. And he said, this is the dream. What does it mean? This is the dream. What does it mean? And as I looked upon this, I thought, hey, you know what? Who do I look to? When my spirit is troubled, do I seek out the wisdom of men? Doctors, lawyers, psychologists, psychiatrists, all of these things? Because, I mean, th- th- those would be like the-, the wise men of today, right? Those would be the people that we would naturally gravitate to and look to for counsel. Pastors? You think, whoa, you're fed on thin nice Pastor. Do you look to the wisdom of men? when your spirit is troubled, or do you seek out the wisdom of God? Do you seek out God's will and God's answer in your devotions, in prayer, in worship? Are those the place where you turn first? They should be. Because I promise you, the wisdom of men is flawed. If, if that takes you by surprise, I'm sorry, but it's true. The wisdom of men is flawed. Just look at our economists, look at... <laughs> Look what's going on right now. Yeah, the wisdom of men is flawed. And I would even say, guys, if you're thinking, oh, but you know, a pastor, a pastor, they represent God, right? They're they're trained, they're they're studied in in the Bible. Yes, but listen, you don't want to have a substitute Jesus. You wanna make sure that your hope, your faith, your trust is in the Lord, the Lord of hosts and him alone. You do not want to replace God with a man. And so we have this, We have this tendency as humans to look to people first. We look to people first rather than to the Lord. And then it's usually, oh, my child's sick. They have a fever. Let's go get the aspirin or the Tylenol. Let's go get that and give it to them. And then after we give them the Tylenol, then we lay hands on them and pray for them, right? We've all done it. But how often do we think to, hey, you know what? I'm going to lay my hands on my child and pray for them. And then, of course, we're not going to neglect our children and do what would be criminal. We're still going to take care of them. But at the same time, who do we look to first? Are we trusting in the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God first? I had a great testimony uh, this last Tuesday when Trinity, she had another episode where the right side of her tongue went numb. And the first couple times it happened, it lasted like an hour or so until she had her Keppra. And then about 20 minutes after she had her, her Keppra medicine, the, the numbness went away. Well, this time, Trinity comes in. It's like 6.30 in the morning. Heidi and I are like, like this. And she comes in and she's like, you know, mom, dad, you know, my tongue's doing that thing again. And it's like, huh? Oh, okay, honey, come here. And She came and she like laid down across us. And Heidi put her hand on her shoulder. I put my hand on her head and we prayed for her. And then literally I said, amen. She goes, started moving her tongue around. She goes, that's funny. She goes, it's gone. It's back to normal. And all of a sudden, I just smiled. I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. That was awesome. That's incredible. Guys, the wisdom of men will fail. The wisdom of God never will. It will never fail. Look at me with verse nine. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. There, he admits it. I told you. I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And he told him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him, that is, the baker. Okay, what do we have here? Guys, the foreknowledge of God. It was already declared before, right? Remember when the dreams happened? We said, hey, look, God is telling what's about to happen. Joseph said, you know, the, the three baskets, the three clusters of grapes, they represent the same thing, three days God is telling you what's going to happen. We saw the foreknowledge of God that he and he alone, and he even says, there is no other God but me. I think it's Isaiah chapter 46. He says, I am God and there is no other. One who tells the end from the beginning, one who speaks from ancient of days, things that have not yet come to pass. We saw his foreknowledge. Well, here in this moment, this butler now goes, oh no, I forgot. I got so excited about being released and being able to take my job back again that I totally forgot. He said, wow, there was this Hebrew guy and he told us exactly, we had these dreams and he interpreted them and he literally sent me back to work with you. And he's talking about Joseph now. He said, and he sent the baker to be hanged and that the birds would peck his flesh. He said, he, he said exactly what happened. And remember how I said that, why did God give both men a dream when only the butler was gonna survive the ordeal? Because you see now the butler says, he gave us both dreams and both dreams had their own separate interpretation and both of them came to pass exactly as he said they would. It's beyond coincidence. Now you can say, oh, you know, in a hundred, sometime in the future, there's gonna be a great army and it's gonna attack another army and then this one army is gonna win. And like, well, like, okay, yeah, so? that happens like every day. But the Lord gave these dreams in order that the Lord would sanctify himself apart in this butler's mind. He is sanctifying himself for eventually the pharaoh's mind as well. And now this butler, he is proving and testifying of the words knowledge of the Lord's knowledge, of the Lord's uh, command that these things in fact happened. He is testifying of this miracle and I just can't, just a quick application on there. How often do we testify of the works of God in our own lives? Seriously. How many times have you had an answered prayer? Do you testify? Do you tell people, guys, look, here's an answered prayer. Look at this. Look, what, look what's happened. Or maybe you say it just to your husband or just to your wife or just to a buddy. But like, do you really testify? Guys, you know, sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and they're like, oh, God's not real, God, eh, whatever. And you just say, no, 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 listen. I was praying for this and this happened. And then another time, look, I was praying for this and this happened. What about just the blessings in our lives? Gosh, I don't understand why because I'm really not that smart. And yet look at this job I've got. Look at the, wow, look how the Lord has provided. And gosh, you know, I, I couldn't afford my bills there. And then a check appeared out of nowhere. How many many people have had something like that happen? I have. A lot of you have. And yet, do we give glory to God? Do we testify to the people around us saying, look what God did. Look what he did. This butler is doing that right now. Verse 14 through 16. It says, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you, that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Guys, I I love this. I love this. Because remember Joseph in the dungeon? I, I said it just a second ago. But remember, he, he told the, the good dream. He told the good interpretation to the butler. And he says, when you're restored, don't forget me. Speak kindly to me. Help me out. Because, and remember, he justified himself. I've done nothing to deserve being in this dungeon. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. He was acting as like a PR rep for himself. Look, I'm a good guy. Look look what I've done to Potiphar's house. Look how successful it is. Here's my portfolio. Look, look I'm a wise man. Look how good I am. You know, I've done, I'm an innocent man. I'm a just man. I don't belong here. I belong in the courts of Pharaoh, or at least free. He had done all of that, and yet all of that came to nothing. The butler forgot. The butler forgot. And yet, in the right time, in the Lord's time, deliverance came from God, didn't it? Not from man. Because the Lord troubled Pharaoh with a dream. The Lord made it so real that Pharaoh couldn't rest and he brought all of the wise men, all of the magicians, and none of them can help. And then the Lord's like, now. And that butler goes, ah, I see my faults. There's this guy, this Hebrew in the dungeon, and he can help. I'm sure of it. Deliverance comes from the Lord, not from man. The Lord gives favor. The Lord exalts the humble. The Lord gives the increase. But again, as I said, it is in his time. It is in his time. Not our two full years he was in that dungeon looking to that door, waiting. And yet Joseph had to learn patience. Among many of the other things that he had learned in his ordeal, add to it now patience. And and patience to have its full work that he might be mature, lacking nothing. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29 says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, listen, that no one, no flesh should glory in his presence. Joseph, when he tried, hey, look at me, look at me. I'm good, I'm great. Let me out of here. It's not about that. The Lord, in His time, He is the one who calls the fools to confound the wise. He is the one who chooses the weak to put to shame the strong. The Lord in His time, has all things under control, and it is the Lord that we need to look to for our hope. And I, I love this in verse 16. I, I was excited about it last week, and I'm even more I'm doubly excited about it now. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Glory to God, take two. Scoreboard Joseph. Isn't that awesome? He could have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me your dream, Pharaoh. I'm really good at interpreting dreams. I'm very wise, you know, very smart. Let me tell you, Joseph doesn't, because I mean, think about it. This is his opportunity to get out of the dungeon. I have to show that I'm worth something to Pharaoh, that he'll let me out and let me stay out and not deliver me back to Potiphar. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, I'm just a Hebrew slave, your majesty. Pharaoh, I'm just a, it's not in me. He said, I, I don't have anything special. I'm not a diviner. I, I'm, I don't have like a, a special key, special passcode to get into the underworld to ask the, the dead or whatever. I, I don't have any of that. He goes, it's not in me, but it's in God. And I couldn't help but to notice like you know what? Joseph had a moment of clarity and brilliance where he gave glory to God and not to himself in the dungeon. And then as he did that, he, he, he saw that the Lord blessed that, that you know, he, he was able to interpret the, the dreams and all that. And we see him now, he's doing the same thing. This is, uh, this is something, it's, he basically sowed an act and he, he reaped a habit. And then you sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. It's the small choices. It's in the little things. It's in the little things that we choose in our daily lives that make such a huge difference in who we are and who we will be. The Bible says be faithful in the small things. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Trust God. Look to Him. Be faithful, even in the silent years, even when you're not hearing His voice. Be faithful. And as you do that, you will reap a character and that character will shape the course of your destiny, of who you will be, who you will become, and where you will be. Verses 17 through 24. It says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold in my dream, and and he he repeats this thing again. It's a review of the dream. It's the same thing. All all of the same text that we had already read is right there, so I'm not going to read it to you because we got limited time. But he, he repeats the same thing, but he add, there's only one little nugget that's a little bit different in this area, in this review of the dream. It says in verse 19, look with me if you will. It says, then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. Now listen to this. This is the part that's, that's different. Such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. Anything? so? No. Guys, I, I just want you to see something. Did the Lord pull the punches? Did the Lord, did he soften the blow? Did he make the dream like, oh, yo, it's some skinny looking cows and, and maybe they got some flies buzzing around their ears. They're not the healthiest looking, but they're not that bad either. Is that what the Lord did? No, the Lord showed his compassion and his love for these people through honesty and truth. He declared as it would be, A very severe famine is coming that would, if if something doesn't happen, it would take the lives of all of the people in Egypt and all of the people in the surrounding areas because this was a severe famine. Seven years it's going to come. And so the Lord doesn't sugarcoat it in the dream. He declares something that's going to be so alarming to Pharaoh that Pharaoh will not rest. He will not sleep. And by the way, the Lord has a little side motive over here because he's going to exalt Joseph out of the prison. And not only that, he has a reason for that too. It's to save Israel and his family and bring them into the land of Goshen where they will be fed and protected. So it's important to understand that Love isn't always just telling people what they want to hear, is it? A lot of times, when we we see somebody doing something wrong, we don't want to call them out, do we? Because we don't want to hurt their feelings because we care about them. But the Bible says, "Spare the rod, spoil the child." The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-seven six, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful." And so, if you see something in somebody that is destroying them, and you, oh, you're great. Oh, you're wonderful. Remember in Malachi, we read that? He said, Malachi said, you guys say that the people who do evil are great in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord said, it's because of that, that I'm like, don't even talk to me. I don't even want to hear your voice. Absolutely not. Love tells the truth. Love speaks the truth mixed with grace. First, considering yourself. The Lord tells the truth. We don't always like the truth, do we? But we need to hear the truth. And we need to declare the truth if we truly love the people that we're going to be declaring these things to. But it needs to be in love, it needs to be in compassion, not with a haughty attitude and a a wagging finger. But love tells the truth. That is how you declare your love, your truth and honesty. Verse 25 then joseph said to pharaoh the dreams of pharaoh are one god has shown pharaoh what he is about to do and i want to stop there for just one second because remember how we talked about last week the sovereignty of god that he has the right to do anything he wants everything that he pleases you know he is the sovereign he is above everything else and i want you to see right here this famine that is coming that will destroy all of egypt and all of the surrounding areas who's sending it god's not just saying oh hey look of famines coming, but oh, it's it, I, I, it's just nature, Mother Nature sending a famine. But you know, I, I wanna I wanna help the best I can. I just want you you guys to know that it's coming. Is that what God is saying? No. Joseph is saying God is sovereign, and God is about to send a great famine. But before He does, He's going to send a uh, great plenty, seven years of great plenty fantastic harvest and he's giving people an opportunity if they believe if they have faith you see because god, god always works in faith if you can believe what i'm saying it's coming you don't see it yet but it is coming when it comes you can be ready if you choose we are told that christ said that he is going to return for his church right In faith, we must believe that Christ is going to return for his church, that he is indeed going to say, come up here, and the rapture is going to happen. In faith, we believe this. But he has also said there is the 70th week of Daniel. The tribulation is also coming. It is a great famine, a spiritual famine. It is a physical plague-type famine that is coming to this earth. He said, but I have given a way of escape, but you have to believe. Trust me. Prepare now on this side of it before it comes, that way you will be ready to withstand it then. I'll I'll remove you from it entirely. And he's saying here, he's giving them this, it is his plan, it is his purpose, it is his pleasure to bring this famine on Egypt. Why? That people might believe and give glory to God, that they might put their faith, because now remember, these are just physical things. These are socioeconomical things. But that's not what God's dealing with. He's sending a socioeconomical economical Uh, problem a great famine to the land that people might say oh wow look the lord said this was going to happen and look it happens exactly like he said and then that they might glorify god in their lives put their faith and their trust in him that they might reap eternal life has nothing to do with filling their belly right now that's not why god is doing this that's not why he's giving them the foreknowledge of it he's doing it that they might put their faith and their trust in him that the gentiles might give glory to god that the children of Israel might be protected and saved as God promised Abraham, the friend of God. See, all of these things are all working together for good. And ours is not to question God. Ours is not to attack God and to, oh, that's just unfair, that's unjust. Ours is to submit to his will, being sure of his character, knowing like, you know what? God loves them. And he even, for us, hindsight saying, he even sent his own son to die on a cross for us. And if we know those things, then we can trust God even when the famines come, even when the famines come. Verses 26 through 32, Joseph interprets the dreams. He basically says seven years of plenty are coming followed by seven years of famine. And that famine is gonna be so severe that nothing will remain. It will be as though the, the seven years of plenty never existed. Wow. Verses 33 through 36. Verses 33 through 36 is, now therefore, Joseph is giving, okay, here's my counsel, Pharaoh. Here's what is, this is the knowledge that the Lord has given you. Here's the interpretation. But now, this is what I think you should do, Pharaoh. Therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in in the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the time. Guys, what we're seeing here is not just the knowledge because God already gave the knowledge. He gave the dream. He gave the interpretation of the dream. What this is here, this is another gifting that God gives. This is a gift of wisdom. This is a gift of wisdom where God is saying, okay, this is what you are to do with the knowledge that you have been given. Because how many of you guys have known anybody who's super smart, super smart, super smart, but will walk in front of a bus? They're just like, boy, I I can tell you the air, wind, speed, flight, velocity of an unmade and swallow." but sorry, that was Monty Python joke. But those were my old days. But, you know, people who can just declare like all the twos and fro's of the entire universe, they, they know the workings and the mechanics of everything and any subject, they have an answer. And yet, there you know, some guy walks up wearing a, a big bowler hat and like sells them a bridge in Kentucky or something like that. They're like, oh, that sounds like a great deal. And you're like, what? You did what? Have you seen this bridge? No. <laughs> Okay. This is wisdom. What do you do with the knowledge that you have? That's wisdom. And there was a great famine coming and Joseph said, Hey, this is what you do. There's seven plenteous years, seven years where everybody's going to have such great abundance that you can tax them and it won't even affect their daily lives. They won't complain about it. They won't balk about it because they're going to be so well, they're going to be rolling in dough. They're just going to be like, Oh, whatever. Who cares? No big deal. And then you, so you you save up, you store up all of that that way when the famine comes, and everybody is starving to death, there will be bread in Egypt. That's wisdom. Guys, we have a famine right here in the USA right now, don't we? Don't we? It is here. It is absolutely here, and, and people cut you know they, they try to say, "Oh, it's getting better, No, it's not. You, you talk to any of the people actually in the market and that are like dealing with these things, dealing with the economy, dealing with real estate and things like that, they say, it ain't getting better. Matter of fact, there's another uh, burst about to happen. We haven't even hit the commercial burst yet. There's like over a trillion dollars in bad commercial loans that hasn't broken yet. Okay. There's a lot of stuff going down right now. We are in a famine, but you know what? The fullness of the famine hasn't happened yet, has it? We all, most of us still have jobs. We still are able to pay the bills. You know, more than likely our tax return will come in the mail. All of that, but you know what? There is a famine coming. It happened in in 1929, October 1929. The great fam, uh, the great depression began, and unless something radically changes, we're coming to one also. And so that's just knowledge. That you know, that's not you know me saying, oh, the Lord spoke to me. Nothing like that. That's just common sense. That's just reading the newspaper, uh, <laughs> listening to the, the reports of what's going on. It's coming. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, years ago, years ago, the Lord just kind of blessed me, actually in this very text, in this very text, the Lord showed me, it's like, this is just how Heidi and I deal with our finances. Most of the time we try it. Sometimes there's leanness and things like that. We can't do it exactly. But this is just a formula from Joseph that Heidi and I have put into practice. I'll share it with you. If you like it, cool. If you don't, it won't hurt my feelings. It's all good. We give 10% of our income to the Lord, first and foremost, off the top. We give 20% to savings, and we live on 70. For 20% over the course of however many years while everything's doing good, adds up quickly. And it becomes a sizable amount. And then when the years of leanness come, you have something to fall back on, at least to give you a little breathing room before the hardships come. Straight Straight out of scripture. I shared that with a real estate friend of mine Uh, who had helped us sell our house and he said i've got the 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 chills he goes oh my goodness he goes the real estate market goes in years seven year cycles seven years up seven years down seven years up seven years down it happens every every seven years he goes that's amazing i don't know if he ever applied it or not that would be wisdom but but he was really impressed by it so there you have it look with uh verse 37 through 45 so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. Now listen to this. And in the eyes of all his servants. Who are his servants? Who are Pharaoh's servants? All of the wise men of the land, all the magicians. So Joseph is now getting a unanimous vote. Think, wow, that's pretty amazing. Daniel, he didn't get a unanimous vote. Nebuchadnezzar liked him, but boy, those, those magi, they didn't like him one bit, threw him into a lion's den. Okay. Joseph has been given absolute favor from the Lord. And now all of them, Pharaoh and all of his court say, yes, we put our stamp of approval on this plan. Well done. So then Pharaoh says in verse 38, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Bryson was uh, saying to me earlier this morning, he says, Man, you had this guy who was a convicted, a convicted felon. He's in the dungeon. And literally, how does a guy go from the dungeon and be given the second place in the land? He's literally like the vice president, but it's like this is a, uh, a president who's not really doing anything, and the vice president's really running the show. How does that happen? How is that even possible? Guys, listen, because Pharaoh initially he tried to ease his troubled conscience. He tried to ease himself with the wise, with the wisdom of the world, and it failed. Not one could help him. Not one could deliver him from his, his turmoil that he had. And then one Hebrew slave with the Spirit of God. And remember, that has been the testimony of Joseph all along. Remember why Potiphar liked him so much and exalted him within the house? Because he saw that the spirit of God was with him. That's Joseph's testimony. That's his legacy. The spirit of God was with him. And one Hebrew slave with the spirit of God is of more use to a kingdom, to a nation, than all of the magicians and all of the wise men put together. Isn't that amazing? And Pharaoh saw it. Is there anyone in the land such as this man in whom is the spirit of God Is there one? And guys, you know what? In ministry, it's exactly the same. I will take a spirit-filled man over a talented man every time. Every time. You give me one man who can't do anything and yet is humble and loves the Lord and serves the Lord, and I will take him over the most talented PhD, the smartest, the wisest, the bankers, everybody. You you can keep the CPAs. You can keep the lawyers. You can keep all of them. You give me a, a trash guy. You, you, bring, you bring me a sanitation disposal guy, whatever they call him nowadays. You bring me one of those guys who loves the Lord and fears the Lord, and I will take him every time. I will put him in ministry every time. I will put her in ministry every time. Every time, because the spirit of God is leading and directing that person. And you know, I don't care about the PhDs, the PhD that's man's wisdom, that's something that, that is given, you know, that, that's just a certificate. That's a, that's a little diploma thing that man is given. And gosh, I've seen some of the stuff that's coming out of the colleges nowadays. And he's like, what? You seriously believe that? Seriously? Come on, that doesn't even make sense. Life began on the back, like molecules floating on the backs of crystals and as the crystals formed, that created life? Are you serious? Oh, wait a second, there's another one too. Aliens planted seeds? You're kidding me now, E.T., planted seeds, and we're the crop. Are you serious? (laughs) Guys, give give me a man or give me a woman who is filled with the Spirit of God every time. Every time. Amen? Would we be those men? Would we be those women in the workplace that our bosses would say, give me that person in whom is the Spirit of God. They are worth more than all of the rest of my employees put together. Amen? And then in verse 46, look at verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He was 30 years old. Do you guys remember how old he was when, when we first met Joseph in Genesis? 17 years old. 17 years old. And he is 30 now. How long does that make his ordeal, his trial, his time of sorrow? 13 years. Thirteen years for God's will to be accomplished in His life. See how it comes back to that whole patience thing that we that we saw earlier. But let patience have its perfect work. <sighs> that the man of God, that the woman of God, might be mature, might be perfect, complete in everything. Thirteen years of pain, thirteen years of sorrow, of misery, of depression. Thirteen years is a long trial, isn't it? That is a long trial. And yet, you know what? It took 13 years for God to accomplish his work, his perfect work. Thirteen years, Joseph was in the refiner's fire. Thirteen years. But you know what? At the end of it, the Lord looked down, and he saw his face reflected out of that refiner's pot, didn't he? Didn't he? Beautiful. Verses 51 through 52, we we get a little background of Joseph. He has some kids, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. They later become, uh, Jacob, his father, will adopt them and they become the two tribes, two tribes of Israel, in place of Joseph. So Joseph gets like the double portion. But listen to this. When he names Manasseh his first child, because obviously Manasseh and Ephraim came during the time of like the years of plenty and things like that. And So you have all that going and Manasseh comes and he he names him Manasseh. Manasseh means making forgetful. Joseph was just recovering from the pain of the 13 years of sorrow. Manasseh, making forgetful. Lord, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting the pain. I'm forgetting the trials because you've blessed me so much now. And then Ephraim comes and Ephraim means fruitfulness. And Joseph says, because God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let me just read that one more time because if, if, if it didn't strike you, then you missed it. Everybody everybody, awake? Okay, let's try it one more time. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Guys and gals, brothers and sisters, Christians, whatever you find yourself in today, whatever trial, however long it's been going, however long you've been in it, in Christ, we have this testimony. And all you have to do is take out the land of. That's all you have to do. Look at that text again and just take out that and apply it to yourself right now. God has caused me to be fruitful in my affliction. Me and Trinity were talking about this yesterday. Like, sweetheart, look what God has done. said, how many people are getting saved through your testimony? How many people are praying more fervently than they've prayed before? How many people are being moved by what you're doing? God has made you fruitful in your affliction, hasn't he? And she goes, yeah, he has. Yeah, he has. Whatever we find ourselves in, guys, whatever we find ourselves in, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, I don't care how long it's been. I don't care how long it's been since you've heard God's voice. If we put our trust in God, if we wait and walk with him, If the Spirit of God is with us, then you know what? God will take every aspect of what we see and experience, and he will make it fruitful in our lives. Isn't that amazing? I love it. Finally, verses 53 through 57, just talks about the, the years of plenty were over, and then the years of famine come. And in that time, it says that everything dried up, but there was bread in Egypt. Salvation is from the Lord. The Lord gave the, he gave the sneak peek. Hey, this is what's coming. He sent his boy. He had him, remember, he, he put him in the, in, the, um, in the cistern that his brothers put him in. Then he put him in Potiphar's house. Then he put him in the dungeon because God had him on an intercept course with a butler who would then bring him to the Pharaoh that God might save all of the land through him. And here's the interesting thing though is that this mercy was to all and it wasn't just to Egypt it was all the surrounding all the surrounding nations come to Egypt because they find out there's bread in Egypt and they come and they purchase bread there's that much that's how much prosperity the lord blessed Egypt with in those 7 years all of the peoples around were given mercy and god used and worked through one man joseph A man who had the spirit of god a man who was mature and patient who grew in the ways of god who trusted in him and god through joseph and through the interpretation of the dream and through the wisdom that god implanted to joseph to store up in the time of plenty god used that to bring mercy to all of the inhabitants of egypt and all the surrounding areas and i say mercy not grace Mercy, because they do all, they, they all live, they don't die, yet it costs them everything. All, all of these, all of these uh, pagans and things like that, all these people who probably blaspheme God and all that, they all receive mercy from the Lord, but it costs them everything. Remember, they have to sell everything, they end up selling even their very land, so, so, uh, so I'm sorry, Pharaoh owns everything. They lose everything, but they live. That's mercy. They didn't get what, they didn't get what they deserved. Because the famine probably came because of they were probably sacrificing their children. They were probably doing these horrible, grotesque acts and things like that. And yet the Lord gave them mercy to bring the fear of the Lord to them. And yet what we will also see, though, is that the chosen, the friends of God, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and then now Jacob himself and his children, they will receive grace because they will come into the land, but they will come into the best of the land and they will be fed from Pharaoh's table itself and it will cost them nothing. The greatest gift in history costs nothing, but it was very expensive, wasn't it? It cost the blood of Christ to buy us entryway into heaven. and eternity. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, for Genesis chapter 41. What an amazing text, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would just speak these things into our lives, Lord, that you would help each one of us to chew on these things, to meditate on them. Lord, that we might consider these things, Lord, that they might be valuable to us. And Lord, we just pray that as we walk with you, that your spirit would dwell with us. Lord, that we would be pleasing to you, and Lord, that you would be glorified through us, your servants. We love you and praise you, Lord, for you and you alone are worthy of all glory and all praise and all honor and all power and dominion. They belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray.